Crispin here on the North Shore Vineyard Church audio podcast. Today on the podcast, we continue in this series, Life Connected, and we're going to be looking at the context of our lives, how community is actually the natural habitat for followers of Jesus. We've got all kinds of things coming up. We're still collecting boxes of hope for hurricane relief. You can pick one of those up at North Shore Vineyard or Heritage Bank in downtown Covington. Bring it by and we will get it to people in disaster-affected areas. We also have a community concert coming up in a couple weeks. All kinds of things that you can find at northshorevineyard.org or on our Facebook page. For now, let's go to the talk. Thanks for listening. For the last few weeks, we've been in a series called Life Connected, and this series, uh, you, you may have not have realized this, but uh, I was talking with, we, when we had a board meeting recently, one of the board members was like, what's our vision statement and all this stuff? I was like, well, it's Life Connected. I've never heard about that. It's, well, I was like, it's, it's like right here on the, <laughs> on the thing. He's like, what does that mean? I was like, well, that's part of what got me to do this series. Um, if you look at your bulletin, at the top it says Life Connected, and then underneath North Shore Vintage says God, Church, Culture, Heart. And the idea behind Life Connected is that we want to live in this space where we are giving movement in our life in these four different directions so that we are learning to worship God, uh, connect kind of vertically, but also that we're connecting in our own hearts through uh, meditation, reflection, contemplation. We're dealing with stuff beneath the surface, you know, because it is possible to worship God and yet not experience an impact below the surface. And so we want to be people that are not only living lives of worship to God, but are actually experiencing transformation within. So that's the God heart axis. But the other key component, you know, you can do just God and heart just by yourself. And there's a lot of people, it's become very trendy. You know, I hear people say, I'm not religious, I'm spiritual. Uh, you know, everybody wants to ha- kind of have their own personalized spiritual experience uh, disconnected from other people. But that concept is really foreign to the New Testament. And so while we're trying to connect with God and connect with our own hearts, we do this in the context of community. And community is what I want to talk to you about today. But before I talk about community, I want to talk about addiction. Um, Over the last century, there has been a prevailing mindset when it comes to the causes of addiction. And the prevailing mindset has been that highly addictive substances are the root cause of addiction, right? So, And and this seems kind of like a no-brainer. Like if you decided to go home and like, I'm going to try heroin for a few weeks and see how that is. I don't suggest that, okay? Say no to drugs, kids. Um, But the assumption is if you decided to try heroin for three weeks, like you would would, you'd ruin your life. You know, you'd be addicted to this drug forever and, you know, your life would spiral down and, and you know, we'd find you in a gutter down in New Orleans and, you know, it'd be bad. That's kind of the way we assume things. But there have been some things to challenge that assumptions over the year. 
initially, I think it was back in the 50s, they did some tests on, uh, to, to kind of look at the root causes of addictions using uh, rats. And you may have read about these studies before. But what they did was they would take a rat, put it in a cage by itself, and give it two bottles of water. One bottle of water was regular H2O. The other bottle of water was laced with heroin. And sure enough, the rat alone in a cage would become addicted to heroin and would actually do so much of this water laced with heroin that it would kill itself, either by drug overdose or uh, it would just neglect food and stuff like that. And we see that with human beings when they get in the clutches of addiction. They, sometimes they just neglect food. They neglect everything in their lives. And that's, sure enough, that's what happened with rats. And so that kind of proved the thing that we all kind of suspected intuitively, that the problem of, of addiction is in the addictivity I don't know if that's a word, but in, the, in, the, in how addictive a substance is. But it's one thing to study that in rats. It's quite a different thing to kind of see that in human beings. And the Vietnam War actually offered an opportunity for us to see real-life experiment on, on how humans uh, dealt with addiction because it was estimated that some 20% of soldiers serving in Vietnam were using heroin. And there was a lot of people, as the Vietnam was drawing to a close, a lot of people were getting very worried that we were going to have thousands of soldiers returning from Vietnam that were going to be in the clutches of heroin addiction. But what they began to see challenged this assumption because most of these soldiers, when they actually came back to America and got around their family and their friends, they didn't have any addiction to heroin. They didn't continue to use it. In fact, they were able to quit heroin without any physical withdrawal symptoms. And all of a sudden, scientists were going, this doesn't make any sense. And they began to think, well, maybe there are certain assumptions that we've made in our uh, experiments that, that need to be challenged. So in the late 70s, there was a team of researchers that did this experiment that has uh, been known as the Rat Park Experiment. Uh, where they, instead of putting a rat alone in a cage, they created this, like, rat park. It was like heaven for rats. And it was like the ideal situation. If you're a rat, you've got little rat toys, you've got little rat things you can climb on, you've got all these members of the opposite sex to hang out with, and, you know, it's, it's a pretty cool deal. If, if they probably had cheese in there, too. And um, so... They did the same kind of experiment, but instead of putting a rat in isolation and offering the option of of regular water or heroin water, they put rats in this rat playground and gave them the same two options. And you know what they found? They found that none of these rats got addicted to drugs. They would try it. And they might go back occasionally, but it was not, it never became something habitual. And this, this, this research revealed that we've had it wrong. All these decades of fighting the war on drugs, we have actually made it worse for people. Because if you, if you think of, if the roots of addiction are not so much the addictive substance, but the feelings of isolation and disconnection in your own life, then to find somebody that has drugs and then lock them up in a prison for a couple of years, you're, you're actually taking the very thing that drove them to do drugs in the first place and making it even worse. The real root problem, and I think this is the root problem of so many sins in our life, 
is the feeling of alienation, a feeling of being alone, a feeling of being disconnected. You know, the person that is caught in the clutches of addiction doesn't need to be locked up in a cage, doesn't need to be isolated from people. They need to find healing. They need to find actual healthy relationships. They need to learn a way to relate to other people in a healthy way. And I think if we would have taken the, the billions of dollars we spent on the war of drugs and actually spent it on this other thing, we'd have a, a, a much better uh, quality of life for, for more people in this country. But I'm not here so much to talk about drugs. I know this, is, this sounds like a just-say-no campaign. What I'm trying to get at with this study is, is I think what they stumbled onto in research about addiction is they, they, they uncovered the way that human beings are hardwired. We are created to be in relationship. We are created to live lives connected to one another, to, to, to have meaning and purpose. And if we violate that, that ground of being, it'll take us into some really bad directions. Has anybody ever been to the Tiger truck stop? Yeah, it's, it's pretty impressive, huh? <laughs> <laughs> I remember when I first moved to Louisiana, I would often take trips out to Texas. And, you know, when you get, when you get to the other side of Baton Rouge, about 15, 20 miles down, you start seeing these advertisements for Tiger Truck Stop, live tigers. I'm like, what the heck is this? Like, why would you put a tiger in a truck stop in the swamps of Louisiana? That sounds like tiger hell, you know? That's, that's the worst place. And, and so finally, after driving by this so many times, I decided to stop one day and see the tiger. And I looked at the tiger, and he looked like he could use some heroin water. <laughs> he looked bored. He looked sad. And, and that's, I think we have this experience even if you go to the zoo sometimes. I think it's the, the, the most horrible thing to see in a zoo is, a, is a, a lion or a tiger because these are majestic beasts that you should be seeing like out on the plains of the Serengeti in Africa. And yet they're, they, even though they're being fed, you know, a good meal every day, they just... There's something in your heart that just feels sad for them because they're surviving, but they're not thriving. Why? Because they're disconnected from their natural habitat. And Christianity tells us that our natural habitat as human beings is community, or what we refer to as the church. We were not called to do Christianity as a solo endeavor Unfortunately, that's the way I had done much of my journey for the first 10 years. We hear so much emphasis in evangelicalism about you need to have a personal relationship with Jesus. You need to have a personal quiet time. And, and, and I had all that going. And yet I was dying on the inside because I was getting the context of my life wrong. I was doing it by myself. Henry David Thoreau Noted one time, he said, the mass of men lead lives of quiet desperation. What is called resignation is confirmed desperation. See, the reality is we got a lot of people in our world today that aren't locked in prison. They're not locked in cages. But yet, like that tiger in tiger truck stop, they're just leading lives of quiet desperation on autopilot, but disconnected from their own hearts and disconnected from other people. We were not meant to be that way. 
We can see, even looking at an overview of the Bible, that, that God has set it up this way. Before there ever was an us, before there ever was a universe, the, the church has affirmed that God existed as Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, that, that God is relational, and that God, as a relational God, creates a relational universe. God creates Adam and Eve, sets them in a garden, and Adam and Eve are flourishing and thriving because they're in relationship with God, they're in relationship with one another, they're in relationship with creation. It is only when sin enters into the picture that they become disconnected from God, disconnected from one another, that shame takes over, blame shifting. But we see even when God wants to rescue humanity from sins, how does God do it? Relationally. God approaches Abraham and says, follow me. I'm going to make you a, a, a great nation. I'm going to bless the whole world through what I'm doing through you. Then after Abraham, God can, uh, makes a covenant with Israel. He chooses a people to be in relationship with. And, and they got it messed up, and they failed along the way. So finally God says, well, I'm going to step into their world and, and, and do this myself. But even when God steps into our world as Jesus, God doesn't do it alone. If you look throughout history, there's a lot of, you know, these, these super spiritual uh, teachers that are kind of aloft and, you know, like they'd like to dispense their pellets of wisdom from on high to, to people. But Jesus, right from the get-go, when he's starting his ministry, he invites 12 disciples in. And we know there were many other people that followed Jesus uh, that were not in that 12. Mary, Martha, Lazarus, probably people that he was even closer friends with. But Jesus was committed the whole time to doing a process to, to not just being the brilliant teacher, but to pouring his life out and doing it in the context of community. And then we see even the early church. You know, the early church wasn't known for their awesome church buildings. They weren't known for a lot of things, but what they were known for was being a community that stood in sharp contrast to the rest of the world. Because in this weird little community gathered around this, this carpenter named Jesus who had been crucified and rose again, this group of people, they, they look very different. Because in the church, unlike the surrounding society, you would see Jews and Gentiles hanging out. You'd see men and women hanging out. You would see slaves and free hanging out. And everything they did in the early church, when you read the book of Acts, they were involved in one another's lives, sharing food with one another, sharing their possessions with one another, taking care of one another, and taking care of, of the rest of the outside world. And this is why Paul makes some just absolutely revolutionary statements throughout his books, saying that you... Actually, the appropriate translation is y'all. Y'all are the body of Christ. Y'all are the temple of the Holy Spirit. You together, when we are together, as Jesus said, if, there's, if two or three are gathered in my name, I'm in the midst of them. As we come together around Jesus, we actually become the very place that God inhabits by His Spirit. Ephesians 6, 19 says this, 
Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundations of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is being joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. You know, all throughout the Old Testament, there was one place on planet Earth God's spirit dwelt, and that was in the tabernacle or the temple. And Paul is saying, there's a new day. God's not confined in a, in, in a temple made with our hands anymore. We are actually the building blocks of God's temple. We are the place. But it's a we thing. It's not a me thing. I only experience the benefits of, of this indwelling of God's spirit in this special way as I'm in relationship with other people. But we've got a lot of barriers to, to community and relationship in our world, don't we? Have you noticed? I mean, I, I feel like as much as I love technology, I, as much as I love this little phone and the ability to look anything up and to connect with my friends on Facebook and Twitter, as much as I love that, this little thing can give you the feeling of community without actually having it. I've noticed I'm going to sound like an old guy. I am. I just turned 45 this week, so I'm, I'm getting old. But I've noticed with the young folks nowadays that it seems like people are losing their ability to, to because we're, we're so wrapped up in technology, we're, we're losing our ability to have face-to-face conversations, to look somebody in the eye and say, you know, this is how I'm, how I'm doing, or you hurt my feelings, or... Can we talk about this? It's amazing how much we can share our feelings online when we don't have to look somebody in the face, right? You ever, you ever had somebody attack you online? It's happened to me a few times. And some people have said the worst horrible things to me online when they don't have to look in my face that I've never had anybody in my life say. We're losing our ability. I hear stories of people who've been fired from their jobs via a text message or an email. (laughs) I've heard of people that break up with other people via text message. What is up with that? (laughs) This thing gives us the feeling of relationality, the feeling of community. The reality is something is being lost in the process. So we have some barriers to community. Individualism, it's just about me. Consumerism. I think when most people in America think of the church, they think of the church as a consumable product. You ever heard this, uh, this phrase called uh, church shopping? It's just me. I'm just, I'm just pastor. I bump into people. Thank you. Thank you so much. I need some affirmation up here. Feeling alone. Uh, church, yeah, because I need community. Church shopping, 
just that phrase, I mean, as a pastor, I bump into people all the time and say, oh, you know, we're church shopping. And I'm like, what an illuminating phrase that describes how we see church. Because nobody thinks twice about that phrase, like church shopping. It's, you know, we're going to go check it out, see if we agree with that pastor, see if we like the coffee, whatever. And, and And it's not that these things don't matter. But I think the bigger question is, how do we feel God drawing us into relationship with other people around Jesus? See, so many folks treat church as a consumable product, but consumerism is a cheap substitute for community. If you just treat church as if it's a a good and service, and I'm just going to go get me a little meat, you know, from the Word of God to get me through. If that's all it is for you, you're missing out on the, on the greatness. And i got to tell you, I missed out on, on being a part of community for the first 10 years of, of, or 12 years of being a Christian. It's not that I was alone. I was with people all the time. I was in services, but I never had any level of depth or authenticity that went beyond a Sunday morning because I was treating it like a consumer product. The last thing is fear and shame. I think one of the barriers that keeps us from authentic relationship is we're just afraid to be honest with people. Come on. You with me? You know, we don't want to be seen for our, our weaknesses. We don't want people to, to, to know where our struggles are. And so it's, it's easier to just keep that stuff hidden. Well, it's easier in the short term, but ultimately that'll eat your lunch. You know, back in... I think it was about 1995, I found myself standing on the edge of a platform 12 stories high in Indonesia. I'd been there for a week doing music for a uh, youth camp for expats in uh, Jakarta. And this family that I was staying with, they worked for Shell Oil, and and the dad said, hey, you want to go bungee jumping? And this was the early 90s. And, and everything. remember when everything was extreme? And I was like, yeah, I, I want to go bungee jumping. I've never been bungee jumping before. So we go down to this place. And I remember sitting out there in the crowd looking up at the, at the bungee jump tower. And I'm like, that doesn't look too bad. I can do that. But it's quite a different thing when you find yourself standing on the edge with these rubber bands tied around your ankles. And you're looking 12 stories down. And, and cognitively, you know that nobody's died at this facility from doing this. They've got a good track record. You know that there, there is safety equipment. There's, there's trained professionals. You can try to tell yourself that all day, but your body feels like you're about to commit suicide. And everything in you revolts against doing that. It felt to me like this was going to be the end if I jumped. Now, fast forward about 10 years after that experience. I had been the worship leader at the New Orleans Vineyard for about a little over a year. And as I said a few weeks ago when I was talking about rest, it it only took me about a year being on staff there to get burned out. You know, we were doing seven services on the weekend. I didn't take a weekend off for like more than a year, and I, I finally got to a place where I'm just like, I, I'm beginning to struggle with things that I thought I'd, I'd left far behind me, you know? I, be, I began to, to uh, 
just feel very walled in, struggle with things. That, and, I, and I was ashamed. I felt like a hypocrite as a worship leader, as a husband. I just like, I hated where I was at, but I couldn't seem to get out. And so somebody invited me to this worship leaders uh, retreat up in Estes Park, Colorado. And I remember the first morning they had this, this fellow in his mid-60s who gets up there and he begins to talk about how his first 10 years of being a Christian, how he had struggled with the very same things that I found myself struggling with. And I'm sitting there, my heart begins to race. You know, you ever have one of those moments where it's like, oh crap, this is what God's going to deal with today. <laughs> I thought I was coming here to word, you know, learn about the, the, the hippest new worship songs and what everybody's doing, and all of a sudden, stuff got really very quick and I'm sitting out there in the audience and my my heart is starting to race because I knew it was time to deal I knew I was coming up to a, a decision either I could stay walled in by my shame and fear or I could come to the light and risk losing at the end of this guy's message he says we're going to break up into small groups and pray for one another and I'm just like oh this is it now what made it even worse was my small group leader, leader was a guy by the name of Reagan Wagner. Reagan was the son of the national director of the vineyard movement at the time, Burt Wagner. And I'm, I'm brand new to the vineyard. I'd only been in the vineyard, you know, a little over a year. And I'm, I'm sitting there thinking, there's probably a blacklist somewhere for worship leaders. And if I open up about my struggles and sins, I'm going to end up on this list. I may never do something in another vineyard again. And, and that's, isn't that the way shame works for us and fear? It always brings us to the worst possible conclusions. But I finally got to the point as I was sitting there, I was just like, you know, I don't care if I never work in the vineyard again. I just want to be free. I'm tired of this. And so I began to open my mouth, and I began to share some things I'd never shared with anybody before. And as I shared, I was crying. I was, you know, snot everywhere, and I was just, I get done. And I was ready for them to lob stones at me, and they didn't. These guys just prayed for me. You know, back to Indonesia, when I was standing at the edge of that platform, I think they ended, I think one of these Australian guys had to end up kind of giving me a nudge. <laughs> But as I flew through the air, I don't really remember the first part of it. I don't really remember falling. I remember coming back up. Actually, I did this cool thing. They offered me. It was the only time I've ever bungee jumped. And they're like, you want to be dipped in the pool below? I was like, sure. <laughs> so I went down in the water, baptized, came back up. My shirt's off. And, and I'm like, you know, Braveheart. Freedom! It was exhilarating. I went from one moment feeling like I was about to commit suicide to the next moment realizing I'm alive. And I felt more alive than ever. And that's exactly what kind of helped, what, what, what it felt like 10 years later when I was at that retreat. I remember in that moment feeling like if I open up my mouth, if I bear my soul, if I share my struggles, if I allow my weaknesses and my sin to be seen by other people, it is going to be the end. It's over. And what I found was rather than being the end, it was actually a beginning, a beginning of transformation. It was a beginning in my life from getting out of a cage of isolation 
like that tiger, <laughs> like that rat, and moving into community. I remember the end of that week, my small group leader, Reagan, came up to me and and he says, well, you know, you're going back to your church. Do you have anybody you can kind of continue what was started here? And all of a sudden, it occurred to me, a light bulb went on. I'd been on staff for over a year at a church, and I had no friends. I mean, I had acquaintances. I had people I'd hang out with. But I had no relationships of depth and honesty. And I was like, wow, it's all starting to make sense. See, even the things that I was struggling with, it was kind of like that rat in a cage, you know? Why was I struggling? It wasn't because of the work. It wasn't because of financial things. It's because I felt disconnected. I felt alienated. I felt alone. And that's the thing that shame does. It takes those feelings of aloneness And it just compounds them even further. And as we go down the spiral of shame, we get hardened up to where we we just can't see any way out. And I think this is perhaps the biggest barrier to why we don't experience true, authentic community is we're just scared of it. We like the idea of it, but we're just scared of it. You know, if I look at, I've just been in kind of a bit of a reflective place uh, this last week, you know, as you get sometimes around your birthday, thinking of how old I am. And uh, when I was thinking about relationships, you know, Dina and I just celebrated our 20-year uh, anniversary back in August. And I, I really, just in, even in preparing for this message yesterday, I just... I had to just call Dina up out of the blue yesterday afternoon and just tell her, you know, I'm so grateful you've been in my life. Because I've been changed more by this, this one relationship than anything else in my life. You know, we often think of things to add to our lives, you know, like try this supplement or try this Bible study or read this book or watch this or go to this seminar. We, we think of things oftentimes when our lives are in a mess, we always try to think of, of a little solution we can add, but we ignore the context. And, and the real question is not what things can we add to our life, but how can we change the contextual dynamic? And when I look at the ways that I've changed in my life over the years, I cannot separate that from the relationships that matter most to me. You know what, you know what marriage is, basically? Marriage is just, it's just simply saying, I'm not going anywhere. Like, I'm going to make this, this public commitment to you in, in front of people. We're going to try to... Make this as permanent as we can. And it's just saying, I'm not going anywhere when you get sick. I'm not going anywhere when when we have financial problems. I'm not going anywhere. But there's something so profound that happens when you actually cut your options of forsaking other people. You know, I mean, for forsaking this person and going to others. When you cut those options away and just say, I'm here. Now you, you, you find that marriage, by the way, it's a... 
It's the most difficult thing I've ever experienced, too. Okay, I don't want to act like it's just easy. It was hard. It took us five years to even become friends, I think. It was, it was, it was not easy at all for a while. And it's not easy a lot of days, still, after 20 years. But being committed to one another in relationship, creating this micro-community, has been a place where this other person knows me better than any other person. They still accept me. And I know her more than anybody else, and I still accept her. And I can see things, and we can see things being revealed in each other, but that happens in the context of community. And that's just a little microcosm. Obviously, we can't have that level of community with everybody. I mean, you can't, and, and who would want to live in that world anyway? But I think one of the problems that, that we have with church, because we treat church as a consumable product, we don't ever think to commit our lives to other people in the journey. And i got to tell you, the, the, the most important experiences that I've had in, in, in Christianity in the last 15 years have been out of investing myself into relationships with others and having other people invest their lives in me. I'm not alone anymore. And i got to tell you, I, I'd say most of the pastors that I know are alone. Most of the pastors I know are, are, are in a very lonely place and they don't feel like they can be honest about their life to anybody because they'll lose their jobs <laughs> or they'll be seen as weak I've got people in my life that call me every single week to check on me I've got people I call every week to check on them not as a police officer but because I care about them <laughs> I can't do this thing alone and neither can you and so the questions, the, the, the last thing I want to, well, I'll wrap up with two, two scriptures here. James 5.16 says, confess your sins to one another and pray for another, one another that you may be healed. That's exactly what I experienced in Estes Park. I began to be healed on the inside, but it came through confession. A type of community. Hebrews 10, 24. Let us as well stir up one another's minds to energetic effort in love and good works. We mustn't do what some people have got into the habit of doing, neglecting to meet together. Instead, we must encourage one another, and all the more as you can see the great day coming closer. The last thing I want to say about community today is that it's not going to happen by accident, especially in this ever-increasingly fragmented world that we live in. Community is not going to happen unless it is a priority to you. Now, you may not even know where to start. You know where I had to start after I got back from that worship leaders retreat? I didn't have any relationships in the church. And so you know where I started? I just started by praying, God, send me some relationships where I can be open and honest and authentic. And it took God six months to answer that prayer. And I made my first relationship where I could be open and honest. And then after that, I made a couple more. And now, you know, I've, I've got a lot of people I can actually talk with. <laughs> you have to be intentional about it, though. And I love what the author of Hebrews says. Um, 
He speaks of intentionality. Let us stir up one another's minds to energetic effort in love and good works. Let's make that a priority. We're going to stir up good stuff in each other. And don't get in the habit of neglecting coming together. Now, I've, I've often heard messages on this used to kind of guilt you into showing up at church on a Sunday, you know. Uh, don't forsake the assembling of the saints together to pray. I think that's the way a lot of Bibles translate it. And, I, and I've had guilt put on me for not coming to church before. Uh, you, you need to come. What I think the author of Hebrews is talking about is not just what we do on a Sunday morning. It is actually, don't go it alone. Make it a priority in your life to do your journey with other people. The last two things I want to end up with, two questions to reflect on. Where are the relationships in my life in which I need to invest in more? If you just ask the Holy Spirit right now, when I look around at relationships in my life, what are the ones that I'm neglecting that I need to invest more in right now? Ask the Lord that. The second question is, What is it that is keeping me from experiencing community? Go to the Lord with that. What is it? Is it for you? Is it fear? Is it shame? Is it just not a priority? Is it consumerism? Because we want to be the type of community that as Jesus says, they will know you're my disciples by the way that you love one another. Why don't y'all stand? Lord God, we thank you for your great love for us. God, I pray for everyone gathered here this morning and those listening via the podcast. Holy Spirit, that you would enlighten us on these two questions, Lord. You would show us where we need to invest more in our current relationships, God. And, Lord, you would reveal to us the barriers towards entering into authentic relationship with other people in the body of Christ. Search us and know us and lead us in your path, Lord. God, may we here at North Shore Vineyard be a community, an authentic community, that truly loves one another, God, that knows how to walk through conflict together, that knows how to hold one another up when we are struggling or to place where we confess our sins and darkness and find healing from other people, Lord. Free us from any cages that we're in, Lord, God, of isolation, of separation, God. Knit us together by your great love and your grace, Lord. It's in your name that we pray, Jesus. Amen. And bless the poor saints this morning. They're going to need it. Amen. Well, if if you need any prayer this morning, feel free to come up to the front. We'll grab some uh, prayer team people to pray with you. God bless.